What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Choose Inclusion. Uh, I am here with my co-host, the, the beautiful, or the unique and beautiful Yubi, and the super talented Mike Hess. How are you guys doing? Wow. She had, to think about, she had to think about that. I, for I had to think about it. I'm like, what's <laughs> there was a, There was a pause there, but everyone should know that those are interchangeable between Mike and I. <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful and unique Mike. Yeah, you know, and the toaster's on its way, Nina. The toaster is on its way. Thank you, thank you. I've always wanted a new toaster. That's everyone's to-do list or We're doing good though. We're doing good in the six. We're getting into you know summer, spring, and yeah, warm weather. Yep. Perfect time for golf, wouldn't you say, Nina? I would say that's oh, that was a nice way to tee me up there, Yubi. So we have a special guest today. Her name's Sandy Cross. She's the Chief People Officer for PGA of America. Uh, We're going to be having some really interesting conversations about the intersection of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a sport that's historically been very dominated by white men. And there's some really cool stuff that she's doing. So, Sandy, welcome. Nina, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here with you today, as well as you, Bea, and Mike. I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. So let's just well, start off by asking you a little bit about yourself. How did you uh, get to this place where you're the chief people officer of PGA of America? Well, ironically, Nina, today is my 25th year anniversary at the PGA of America. Wow. Congratulations. Summarize that 25 years very briefly for our audience. But I started out as a 90 day temporary employee 25 years ago. And I did not come from a golf background, had no golf experience, and really did not know who the PGA of America was. I played other sports growing up, and I played volleyball at the University of Buffalo for four years in college. And I pursued a sport management master's degree at Kent State University. And I knew I wanted to work in the business of sports, but golf was not on my radar in any form or fashion. And ultimately when I was between jobs and I was kind of looking for a side gig, to be honest, I stumbled upon this opportunity at the PJ of America through an employment agency. And I started out as our licensing administrator And our licensees at the time, and and some of them still are, like PepsiCo and Gatorade and National Car Rental, I was working with those companies and administering the terms of their licenses. And fast forward, I spent about 15 years in our business development group, um, taking care of our partners, as well as bringing in new partnerships. And because I had built many relationships within the PJ of America and within the golf industry and the sports industry more broadly, I was asked to take on a strategic initiative called Connecting With Her. And that was about bringing in, inviting in women into the game of golf. 
we had done some research and there were 38 million women in America who do not play golf because they had never been invited or they were too intimidated. And we realized we had to crack the code on how are we going to invite those women into the sport and retain them in the sport. And that work in the gender space, Nina, is what opened my eyes to the broader world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I went to our CEO at the time and asked him if I could lead that charge at the PJ of America, build the team, build the strategic plan. And I, I was able to do that very thankfully starting in 2014. And then just two years ago, our new CEO, Seth Waugh, he had a vision for a chief people officer role. So I have oversight of the diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I also oversee our people and culture team within the organization. So it's been this very natural and organic evolution into my current role. Sandy, I, I find, uh, thank you for sharing, uh, kind of, A, that you did not grow up into this particular sport and then how you got, you got included. I actually don't remember that in our pre-call, which so finding it from an employment service, I think is, is a, kind of a fun way to actually get into uh, something brand new. Um, and, and I think I had shared with you just as you took on the, you know, 38 million, you know, women who were never invited, I, I shared with you. Like I, I was, um, and, and it's, it seems so obvious like, oh, well, blind person, well, maybe golf isn't going to be the sport for you, but, but, but thinking about it more broadly of like, I really had a mindset around, I didn't think that golf was for me, not necessarily because I was blind because I was, I was always into athletics. Um, but it was really because I was, I grew up th thinking that, or being told that, you know, golf was for, it was an elite uh, <laughs> it was for the wealthy, it was for the rich. And, and I did not grow up that way. And so, you know, in, in messaging is so important to, um, you know, to, to what you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about that messaging and how you're aiming to be, have golf be a little bit more inclusive or a lot more inclusive with its language? Absolutely. And, you know, you touched on kind of the elite nature of golf and the caliber. If you think about what's seen on television and other digital platforms, you see the professional golfers from the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour competing at a very high level. So there's this perception that everybody's really good and that's what it takes to play that sport. But, you know, Mike, your personal story is so powerful because it illustrates what I like to call the power of the invitation. Golf is a sport of invitation. Almost every single person that plays golf was invited out that very first time by somebody else. And that invitation is so critical. And that invitation is key to our, our industry's ability to evolve the demographics of the sport. If, if those playing the sport do not invite in difference, the composition of who plays is never going to change. Uh, but Mike, you had asked specifically about language. Language creates culture. And when I think about the golf industry, there is a certain type of language that is baked into the fabric of the sport over decades or centuries, frankly. And there's just words and nuances and ways 
that can inadvertently be off-putting um, and not be inclusive of individuals from different backgrounds, identities, or abilities. And it could be, you know, oftentimes you'll hear the phrase ladies' tees. And the ladies' tees are the forwardmost set of tees on the tee box where you tee off from. And the quote unquote ladies' tees are the shortest distance on a course. So using that as an example, when people say the ladies' tees, it immediately suggests that because of one's gender, because one is a woman, her skill and playing ability is less than a men's, a man's, excuse me. So instead, let's not name the T placements based on anyone's gender or anyone's age, because you'll also hear senior T's. Oh, if you're older, you need to play a little more forward because your skill is probably less. People should choose their T placement based on nothing more than their skill and playing ability. It should not have anything to do um, with an attribute of their identity or background or age, race, ethnicity, et cetera. So that's just one example, but you know, the list could go on and on, you know, the cart girl and even just so many facilities are named golf club or country club. The word club suggests that you have to belong, you have to be invited in, you have to be a member of. There's probably a price point or a financial outlay. So, you know, again, you could go on and on, but we actually did a language audit a couple years ago. And as a result, we produced an engagement guide to help uh, PGA members and golf facility operators around the country uh, think more about those language nuances and things that are valued differently uh, by different customer sets. You know, what the LGBT community might be seeking in a golf experience could be a little di bit different than someone who comes from maybe a Hispanic background and what they're seeking for their multi-generational family. Now, of course, those dimensions of difference intersect, but there are some unique values and attributes that different customer sets are looking for out of a golf experience. Well, and what I, the, so the invitation piece sticks with me because I, I feel like that, that the invitation aspect of it can help, I think, help us think about the language even more because it is such a, it is such an important aspect of relationships between people. I'm thinking back to, so we, we got to interview uh, Vikas Narula um, last year. So Vikas, um, and I hope I'm, I can't remember if I'm saying that right, but it's pronounced he, Vikas. Vikas, thank you, Nina. So Vikas had an opportunity to meet and invite George Floyd to hang out on a, on a boat on a little lake in, you know, in Minneapolis, I think it was Minneapolis, um, for an afternoon. Like he'd, he didn't know him before, they were hanging out at a park and, and George was there with his friend. And so they hung out because Vikas made that invitation to, to, to them. And it was, 
so powerful because Vikas got to know them, you know, and and got to just hang out. And and I just feel like that's I that that seems to me like a very practical and tactical way where people can make a meaningful gesture to reach out. Um, and and like you said, Sandy, bring in diversity through that invitation that just it just hit me like how powerful that in and of itself can really be in this work and you be i think you said it well it's very powerful very tactical very simple doesn't have to cost any money but there's a choice to be made with an invitation are you going to invite in sameness or are you going to invite in difference and it's human nature for us to often be attracted to individuals that come from backgrounds similar to our own, or maybe they look similar to us. It's, again, it's human nature. It's, it's nothing wrong with it. It just is. You've got to be deliberate and intentional about the idea of inviting in someone who is different than you. And, you know, I've, I've said on some occasions that golf is a bit of this self-reinforcing vortex of sameness where individuals from similar backgrounds, uh, maybe similar educational paths, similar upbringings, maybe even wearing similar dress or garb, if you will, are inviting sameness into the sport. So I believe it is incumbent upon us as an industry and incumbent upon those who play this game to invite in individuals from different backgrounds, identities, and abilities. And, you know, depending on which source you use, golf's participation hovers at about 24, 25 million right now in the United States. And, and frankly, it's, it's booming right now. We've been blessed to have golf booming during the pandemic. But if you take those 24, 25 million individuals and each one of them invited in someone from a different background, identity, ability, et cetera, that would be incredibly powerful for the golf industry and literally change the quote unquote face of the game uh, for forever, I believe. The, the power is in our hands to do that if we want to do that. So Sandy, you've been working on creating strategies for DEI, for PGA of America, for since 2014. And uh, Monday, May 10th is National Golf Day. You have a big announcement coming up. But before we talk about the big announcement, I, I wanted to know how did you even get started having these conversations and bringing these conversations into PGA of America? I got started really through the support of our CEO, Pete Bavacqua at the time. He's now president of uh, NBC Sports. But at that time, 2014, for the first time ever in nearly our 100 year history as an association, our leadership embedded diversity and inclusion as foundational principles in our long-term strategic plan. And when I saw that that was in there as that foundational principle, I, I said to myself, like, okay, who's, who's gonna look after that? Who's gonna bring that to life? And again, I was so inspired by the work in the gender space and what I had learned about 
all the other dimensions of difference, I, I went to Pete and I said, Pete, I'd really love to take this on. And from the beginning, I, I really emphasized to everybody um, on the senior management team at the PGA, the importance of embedding this across all of our lines of business. Yes, we needed a dedicated team, but I did not want us to go down the path of propping up a DNI department where the work is sort of relegated to a handful of individuals. You know, oh, we don't have to worry about DNI because Sandy and her team are going to take care of it. No, we all have to take care of it. And the, the number one uh, task or charge of our small DNI team is to partner shoulder to shoulder with our colleagues across all lines of the business and help them look at their lens of the business. I'm sorry, look at their line of the business through what I like to call a lens of inclusion. And some of that conversation, Nina, has to be about what's in it for them. You know, they may understand the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion, but at the end of the day, they're like, well, I've got these goals and objectives here in my department, you know, pick one, technology or finance or championships. I have to help them understand by leveraging the power of DE and I, here's how you are going to achieve your goals and objectives more successfully, more quickly, more efficiently, more impactfully. So that, that coaching and that partnership approach with, within the organization was a critical and is a critical part of the strategy. Um, and one other thing I'll add is we couldn't just jump into doing that. We couldn't just show up on you know, Department X's doorstep and say, hey, we're gonna do this thing. We've had to spend a lot of time on education and skills development. And we have a, a dedicated woman on our team, Lynette Carty, who is, is focused on raising the educational and skill development bar. Like people, we had to start with fundamentals. Like what is diversity? What is equity? What is inclusion? Have people understand there's dozens of dimensions of difference. It's not just race and gender. It's not narrow cast. And then understand the business case. And once they understand that and they start to lean into the, the idea of becoming more diverse, equitable, and, and inclusive, then they start to say, okay, tell me how. How do I operationalize inclusion? So a key part of the strategy is this ongoing educational effort moving from the what to the how. And, and I'm very thankful that we're, we're very much in the how space now, how to operationalize inclusion. And not only in our own hallways and operations, but most importantly at what I like to call the point of play. There's about 10,000 golf facilities across America. Uh, the vast majority of them employ one or more of our PGA of America members. So we have to show them how to operationalize inclusion at that local point of play, because that's where the customer is either gonna have a great experience and keep on coming back, or maybe not have a great experience and they never come back. I so love your approach, <laughs> Sandy. I uh, <laughs> Thank you. well, so so much of what uh, from the, the the broader people with disabilities community and what uh, VIT has to do is 
you know, first educate uh, on, you know, like, oh, guess what? Accessibility. And a lot of times we're talking about it from the digital component, but it absolutely can be the physical space too. Uh, what accessibility even what what it is right and uh, and then truly uh, uh, so so much of our efforts is then going from okay after we explain like ah oh, people with disabilities is one in five people <laughs> you know and, and like it's not a small demographic and we we have disposable income of of greater than you know x y and z like so 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 much of that like building that what component and then it's the, the it's the how so much of what we do is the how. Um, just like what you're talking about, like, this is how you make products accessible, period. Like it's in, in, um, so I, I love, love, love your approach. And so I'd love to take that kind of, uh, that theme and, you know, uh, like some, you, you've obviously shared some success stories from a gender perspective, you know, how, how is the, how working from some of the other diversity, equity, inclusion, demographics, right? Dozens of, do, dozens of different uh, uh, variations of what that looks like. But can you, can you give us some success stories of how your, how is working in some other areas? Uh, that would be great to hear. Sure, I'd love to. And I'm glad you're kind of taking the conversation in that direction because one thing I didn't mention, and it was a real aha moment for us in the golf industry, is for, for years, we focused on what we call player development, which is growth of the game. Very much, you know, getting a golf club in a consumer's hands and hoping they fall in love with the game. And that player development growth of the game activity is really important. But what we never focused on, and, and this is where some of our, our wins are now coming in, Mike, is we didn't focus on workforce development or the supply chain. Those are two critical examples. We had, we did a study in 2015 to look at what's the demographic composition of the, the board's senior leadership and full-time staff at the major golf organizations in the industry. And the numbers were pretty staggering in terms of how homogenous the workforce was. Again, heavily white male dominated. And we, we finally realized at that moment that if we don't change the, the composition of who is delivering the product, the product of golf, that we are never going to evolve as quickly as we would like, or as well as we would like who plays the game. So we've, we have really dug in deep on workforce diversification and workforce development. There are 2 million jobs in golf annually in the United States. And you know, what does that workforce look like? And who's delivering the product? You know, oftentimes as consumers, we'll go to places where we feel comfortable. There's others that look like us, come from similar backgrounds. And that's where we choose to spend our, our leisure time and our discretionary dollars. So we have to make sure that workforce reflects America. We actually rolled out a strategic initiative called PGA Works. And that is to drive a workforce that mirrors America. And we have created some clear pathways for individuals from diverse backgrounds to come into the golf industry workforce. Fellowships, scholarships, internships, career exploration events. And it's so important that we, we raise the awareness that 
There are a myriad of career opportunities in the business of golf. It's an $84 billion a year industry in the U.S. And we have all the, the jobs and, and departments that other companies would have. You know, technology and philanthropy and marketing and communications and digital and finance and administration and operations. And so many of those jobs, like my role, did not require a golf background. So we've got a lot of work to do on raising the awareness bar and then then facilitating people to come into and onto those clear pathways into um, the business of golf. So PGA Works, Mike, has really been a, an early win for us. So we're seeing some wins early on with that strategy. And then one other I'd like to mention is in the procurement space. Again, this $84 billion a year industry of uh, products and goods and services and supplies being transacted, what percentage of those procurement opportunities are being bid out to small and diverse owned businesses, minority owned, women owned, veteran owned, disabled owned, LGBT owned, you name it. And we really believe that if those small and diverse owned businesses start to get a piece of the golf economy, if you will, their interest in participating in the game is likely to blossom. So supplier diversity and inclusive procurement practices can drive growth of the game. So we've really broadened our approach away from this, okay, player development, growth of, growth of the game, club in hand, to workforce diversification, vendor inclusion, supplier diversity. So those are two key examples. And I, I would encourage other, other businesses, you know, well beyond sports and golf to, to consider that broader approach. Love it, Sandy. Thank you. And, and just for your PGA works, I'm just saying, I don't know if you've got any blind people that are somewhat funny. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm available. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm going to send you some information on our PGA works fellowships. <laughs> do it yeah mike you've already you've got you can just use a golf club instead of um your 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 walking stick right now i <laughs> love that idea <laughs> i'm gonna use a putter though i'm gonna use a putter yeah. <laughs> well and, the, you know the other thing just to kind of you know close this out i um i just I, I love the you know golf clubs to me can be like the actual club like it's it can, I think it, each one can represent the community around them. I think there's such a, a great opportunity for people and the golf clubs to be almost community centers, wouldn't you say? I mean, is that, is that something that, that oh, you- Oh, absolutely, UB. They can completely be community centers if they want to be. And that's, that's actually one of the, things I love about the name of this podcast is choose inclusion. So you think about those golf facilities that wanna be those community centers, they have to choose to be inclusive. And you know, for many, it, it can be daunting, it can be overwhelming. They don't know where to start. They don't wanna say or do the wrong thing or inadvertently uh, say something off-putting or hurt somebody's feelings. It's kind of this, you know, I want to do this, but I don't know what I don't know. 
So what I would say to, to those individuals in the golf industry and really beyond is invite in some of the individuals from the community that you aspire to attract. Invite them in. Tell them that you want to get this right. You want to become that community center. You want to be more inclusive. Show them that you are choosing to be inclusive and invite them in to help you. And they will be, for the most part, I believe, flattered and willing to help you get it right. Yeah. You know, do a walk around the facility with them and ask them to look through their lens, help you look through their lens at what's missing from your perspective at our facility. What's missing from your perspective in the experience that we're offering or the outreach we're doing? Or can you read these marketing communication materials? Or can you look at our website or our app and tell us what's missing from your perspective? So it can absolutely be done. And I encourage everyone to invite those people from the community to help in that process. Well, and, and so everything you were just saying um, brought up another idea in my head around the fashion of golf, because I think, you know, that there is sort of a stereotype um, connected to the, even just the fashion of golf, right? We talked about the language of it, but thinking about the fashion, you know, has that, is there a limiting factor there? Does that, do you, do you see that fashion keeps people away um, you know, because it, there's a formality to it, you know, there, there's a certain look to it. I think you are absolutely right. You have summarized it well. It is a challenge and there is a certain look that you will see on many golf courses. It, it's evolving. It definitely at some facilities, it's gotten much more relaxed particularly at public facilities, municipal owned facilities, the dress is, is much more relaxed. You know, you'll see the cargo shorts, um, t-shirts, maybe the ball cap on backwards, but, but that is important for, for facilities and business owner and operators to think about what dress is required or not required at their facility because it can be off-putting. And it's also oftentimes a certain look that not everybody is comfortable wearing or displaying. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that some more companies will emerge um, in the golf apparel space. One that uh, has emerged that we're super excited about is East Side Golf. I encourage you to look them up. Uh, but PGA member, PGA professional Earl Cooper uh, is the co-founder of Eastside Golf and really exciting, very different, um, edgy, fun, exciting new approach to attire on the golf course. But yes, that's part of that, the experience. How do I feel? Do I feel like I fit in? Do I look like I fit in? You want to feel confident when you get to the golf course and you want to feel like your authentic self and, and apparel and dress are absolutely a part of that. Yeah, because when I was invited, Sandy, I think I told you this with my first story. So because I was always told like plaid pants and the only thing I had was plaid pajama bottoms. Um, <laughs> and and so I went anyway because, I, you know, I'm cool like that. Um, but apparently people were looking at me and I couldn't tell if it was the pajama bottoms or the cane. I couldn't tell. Just saying. 
Well, Sandy, thank you so much for joining us <laughs> on the podcast today. I think this has been a really great conversation with a lot of insights on uh, where companies actually, anyone who's like trying to build DEI initiatives can go and um, a lot of insights into the golf experience as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, My thank pleasure. You. Thanks to all of you. I really appreciate this time. <laughs> Thanks so much, everybody. Yeah, take care, everyone. If you want to listen to more episodes, go to chooseinclusion.com and we will uh, catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.